Just smile at the person next to you and you can be seated. Smiles do a good, a good job for people. It's just something about smiling. You can say all kinds of stuff when you're smiling. I'm gonna preach my sermon smiling today, everybody. Well, good morning. Man, I'm just, I'm telling you, many times what can happen to a team after Easter is, it's just like, it's, it's kind of like the day after Christmas and, oh, you finally made it. But I'm going to tell you, our team is so incredible. The, the dream teamers to our staff, to all of the hours, the thousands of man hours that it takes to pull off 10 services, live streaming, all the hosting, all the stuff, the decor, you name it. And just so excited. We're not, we're not on that, the lag. We're actually energized for what God wants to do now. Next. We cannot wait. Let me jump in. And I'm going to give you both barrels of the shotgun this morning. If you're taking notes, you can pull your worship guide out and fill in the blanks. Or you can go to the Timber Creek Church app and you can fill in the blanks there or just however you want. If, you're, if you don't like taking notes, no problem. Just write all these things down and you'll be fine. Uh, want to jump in by saying, how many of you have ever made a promise and you were able to keep that promise? Anybody? Yeah. Good, good, good. Good for you. Good for you. Um, how many of you made a promise and it wasn't just you being vindictive or malicious, but you, you, you broke a promise. Anybody ever broke a promise? Yeah, me three. Okay, I get it. Uh, it feels better when someone makes a promise and keeps a promise, doesn't it? Uh, if you're going to choose between someone who keeps their promises or someone who consistently breaks their promises, choose wisely. <laughs> choose wisely. Promises are important. Promises matter. Promises matter not only to us, but they matter to God. I want to jump in today and talk to you about promise. And, and really, if you're taking notes, here's kind of the definition of what a promise is. It's simply an offer with a guaranteed result. 30 days of your money back. Give it a shot. The electro ab shocker. Put it on for seven minutes. <clears throat> and you'll be looking like this guy. <clears throat> Ain't gonna happen. I tried that. I bought the ab shocker one time. All it did was shock me. Put like whole, it put like burn marks right here where the nine volt batteries were connected. It went offer with a guaranteed result or your money back. I did not get my money back because who's going to go through that process of sending it back anyway? An offer with a guaranteed result. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is full of promises. 7,000 promises in Scripture. Not just from one good guy or one good girl, but from God, the creator of the cosmos. Promises. Let me give you uh, where we understand the power of these promises. Hebrews 6. Now, when God wanted to guarantee his promises, put a stamp of a guarantee on there, he gave his word. A rock-solid guarantee, God cannot break his word. The reason you and I struggle with people keeping their promise, you gave me your word, is because people have the capacity to break their word all the time, but God is perfect. He will not, cannot, has not broken his promises. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. That means that when he's promised for all humanity that this is how he will respond this is what you can lean on and get and receive from him. And what he invites us into, you can take it to the bank. It is a guarantee. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. It's like, it's like trying to traverse down a cliff and being nervous. Jana and I went uh, uh, cliff, 
climbing, climb, mountain climbing, uh, when we were in Alaska, and, and we started by going down a mountain, and we had to lean back uh, uh, down over the ravine, and we had to trust the guy that was holding the rope, and had to trust the carabiner, and trust all the system we were connected to, and, and Janet, in that moment, she is an adventurer, but, but she kind of like froze right here, she's like, stop, 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 stop. Are you sure? Am I buckled in? Am I good? I'm good. I'm like, just let her go, guys. Just let her go. No, I'm good. Like she had to make sure. Are you sure this lifeline has got me connected? And above all, Jesus has given you a spiritual lifeline of his promises. That if you'll follow it, you don't end up being tied around a doctrine. It comes to the very presence of who he is. He's a lifeline. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's the kind of promises he's given us all throughout scripture. But you, chase it down, grab onto it. They're available. They're, they're like an offer on the table, but they'll stay on the table unless you engage and receive those promises. Fear, fear been holding you back, there's a promise. Lord's my light, he's my salvation. Whom shall I fear then? If I'm afraid of the darkness that's around me, he's the light, that's the promise he'll illuminate. Like, like, whom shall I fear? If you got the devil on your back right now, hey, look, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And we hang on to that promise. When we live without the promise with both hands, we live like he was greater. I don't know because this is really big and we all of a sudden, the problem, we start, we start all of a sudden just talking to uh, you know, God about all our big old problems and we're talking to our tiny little God about our big old problem versus talking to a big old God about our tiny little problem. Or better yet, telling your problem about how big God is. We have to gain that promise. Hey, you know what? You're waiting. You're in a season of waiting. And that space between the ideal and the real, and you're waiting for something to happen, waiting on a healing, waiting on an answer, waiting on love, waiting on whatever. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness and even in your waiting. In those moments where I feel like I'm out of control, like I can wait on him and my strength will be renewed. Even the practical stuff. Like, if you got teenagers and you're getting older and older and they're about ready to have a drive, like your kids start driving, there's a promise for that. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Pray it in Jesus' name. Even if you have trouble going to the dentist, there's a promise for that. Open your mouth and I will fill it. <laughs> Crown him with many crowns. Story of my life. God has given us his very great and precious promises. So that, so that, through them, you get to participate in the divine nature. You are humanity. He is divine. And through his promises, it, it, it's an access. It is a passport to his divine nature in our lives. And then by engaging the divine nature, you're actually able to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
You're able to actually escape the corruption, the promise of God. If we live by the promises of God, it gives us access through the door and it helps us walk by faith, not by sight. It helps us walk in the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we live by the spirit, when we step in lockstep, when we, when we dance with the Holy Spirit in this rhythm of life that we follow in the promises of God, we're able to, we're able to step aside, not be perfect, but step aside from those evil desires that can so easily entangle each and every one of us. And this is the promise of the world. Look at this. The world offers, the world's got an offer on the table just like God's got an offer on the table. And here's the world's offer. The world's offer is a craving, a hanger, a hunger, a desire. Mm, gotta get it, gotta you know, want it, get it, give it to me. I want it, I want it now. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and our possessions. Those are the key tactics of the enemy. It doesn't get much more creative than the the father of lies. He's not like this super creative, he's not the creator of the world, God's the creator. God has the gift of creation. The enemy's really limited in his creative ways. Really boils down to three main ways he gets us. Physical pleasure, everything we see, Pride, that's that. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It starts all the way back into the Garden of Eden when, when the fruit is there and the enemy says, you know, didn't God say you can't eat from, from the fruit, which is not what God said to begin with. God said to begin with, you are free to eat of every tree in the garden except this one. Don't eat this one tree, but you can eat all. You are free to eat all of the fruit in the garden except this one. But the enemy wants to show you what you can't have. He wants to promise you to crave things and keep craving. And he says, did God really say you can't eat that one little tree? He gets their eyes off everything they can do and only on the one thing they can't. And he makes it all about that craving for what they don't have quite yet. And Eve says it like this. The fruit was pleasing to the eye, lust of the eye. Good for food, lust of the flesh, and good for gaining wisdom, pride of life. Jesus, when he's tempted in the wilderness and does not fall into temptation, he lives the perfect sinless life. The enemy uses the exact same tactics. Lust of the flesh with food, pride of life, be a king, I'll give you all the authority. Lust of the eyes, everything you see, you can have. The enemy is pretty norm, pretty bland, pretty paper sack when it comes to his tactics. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So write it down. Here's what the world's promise, the world's offer on the table to all of us. You've dealt with it, I've dealt with it, I deal with it every single day. I am bombarded by this promise. And if you will hang, there is a guarantee from the enemy himself an offer on the table with a guaranteed result and here's what his promise is I'm going to give you unquenchable craving for stuff and status if, if, if the enemy can give you an unquenchable craving for stuff and status guess who you won't be craving guess who you won't be searching guess who you won't be seeking guess who you won't be trusting guess who you won't rely on guess who you won't need If I can spend all my energy needing to get more stuff and status, then all of a sudden my identity is in what I got versus who, whose I am, what he did to buy my freedom. And the enemy uses that and a guaranteed result is unquenchable life. Craving, 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 craving. And that's how we live 
Gotta have a little bit more. Gotta have a little bit more. Gotta have a little bit more. I want it, I want it, I want it. Our son, before he could even say mama, I think, he was saying, I want it. I mean, it was everywhere all the time. The only thing he was saying, I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. We were on, we were on a drive to Kansas to see my parents, and he is, he won't, when I, mean, I say this in a loving fatherly way, he won't shut up. I want it, I want it, I want it. And Janet, Janet is always, okay, baby, you can have it, you know. But she's like, if you say I want it one more time, you gonna get it, you know. Like, and he, you know, he kind of went like this and was quiet. He's in the car seat, he's that small, he's in a little car seat, you know. And, and, and he's like, he's quiet for about a minute and then there was a whisper from the back seat, but I want it. Like, he thought if I just whisper it, then it, you know, maybe it's okay. Like, he just, that's innate in us. Nobody taught him how to say, I want it. He just taught, like, that's, that's the unquenchable craving in all of us. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. That's why we have more and we're never quite satisfied. We have more and we're never quite satisfied. Or, or, or we think if we get a little bit more, then we'll be satisfied. Then when we get a little bit more, we're not quite satisfied. I mean, back up. Some of you have lived a little bit of life. And you go back to first, maybe first getting married and this was your, your, your income and this is your salary and this is what you had. And you fast forward 10, 15, 20 years and you would have thought, man, back then, if I, if I just had just a little bit more, man, then we'd feel like we, we could make it. Anybody ever felt that? This means yes. And there's, oh, well, if I have a little bit, we end up kind of consuming all of that as we get it without a plan, without without taking on the promises of God, that's actually inadvertently, incognito, not even understanding, living by the world's promise to just consume, consume, consume everything, stuff and status. But I got great news. Great news today, good news. For every one tiny, simple, generic promise the enemy has. There are robust, beautiful bouquets of promises of the living God of the universe available to you and me. And the good news is for God so loved the world that he didn't give them a hollow promise, didn't give him just to live life with that promise. For God so loved the world, he gave a better promise. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, the promise, you don't have to perish. You don't have to be uh, unquenchable all the time. You actually can not even be quenched. You can have everlasting life. Everlasting, eternal, like non-stop. All that you really need. And Jesus shows up and he turns the promises of the world upside down. And he, he, he shows a whole different way of living. When you're a king, you're going to show up in a golden chariot and a golden diaper. But Jesus shows up in a barn and in a manger. And he's walking into Jerusalem, not in a chariot, but on a donkey. Why? He's flipping everything around. He's like, it's not even all about that stuff. It's about my kingdom. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to show you about just my status and my stuff. I got all the status. I got all the stuff. You don't even know the kind of stuff and the status. You guys are all freaking out about gold, we walk on it up in heaven. Like it's not even a bit, it's like asphalt up there. It's streets. You're all worried about the stuff and the status. I got all the stuff and the status, but I'm going to humble myself and push all that away to show you I'm going to bring you the greatest promise ever. 
And he shows up and he shows us how to live. And in his vision sermon, in his inaugural state of the world address, in Matthew 5 to 7, he is giving what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. He's just simply on a mountainside and he's saying, all, he's flipping the script. He's saying, you heard it said we should live this way. I'm telling you live this way. You, you think of a kingdom this way. I'm telling you, you need to think of a kingdom this way. And it's in that five to seven, at the very beginning, we get what is called the Beatitudes. You got an attitude, here is the attitude you should be having, the Beatitude. Like, here's what you should be, Beatitude. And he, again, flips it on the script. Their whole world is like, blessed are the rich, for they'll get everything. And he says, "Mm -mm. blessed are the poor in spirit, they'll get everything. They say, what you talking about, Jesus? Blessed are the poor in spirit, you know what our problem is, everybody? We are middle class in spirit. Many people, like myself, can so quickly be middle class in spirit. Here's what it means. I pick myself up by my own bootstraps. I work hard to get what I got. I've earned it. I've worked. I deserve it. Middle class. And if I'm not careful, that's where my spirit comes. But if I, if I really want the blessings of God... When I'm poor, when I'm poor, I actually, I will gladly receive something into my hand if I'm poor in spirit. I'll gladly receive his goodness. I'll gladly receive his grace because I realize I can't be middle class or upper class enough in my spirit to earn it myself. I need him. I need, I need a handout. I need a hand up. I need what only he can give me. And blessed are those that have that kind of spirit. Our problem is not being poor in spirit. Our problem is being middle class in spirit. The Beatitudes, blessed are the meek. We we think blessed are those who can yell loudest on Facebook. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. No, I'm gonna make war up in here. No, I'm gonna tell you how it is. No, you're gonna follow. No, we're in the Lord's army right now. We're gonna gonna push the gates of hell. And I'm all for being strong in our convictions and strong in the truth, but equally strong in our grace. And blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying, yeah, I'm flipping the script. So here's, here's what the Beatitudes are for us. The Beatitudes, we sang them earlier. You may not even have realized that last song. Blessed, you know, theirs is the kingdom. Have seek first the kingdom and all will be added. That's what those Beatitudes are all about. God's antidote to the world's poison of craving, 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 craving. The antidote are the Beatitudes. And it's in those Beatitudes we get a promise from God. We get God's promise. You can write it down. The God of the cosmos has plans to bless my life. 99.98% of you responded the exact way you shouldn't respond to that. If I were Oprah and I said, you get a car, you'd be like, ah, 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. Or Oprah, 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 Oprah. You'd, you'd run up here, I said, you get a car, you get a car, you run up here, you kiss me on the mouth with tongue. You would do it, you know it. I just told you 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from Genesis to Revelation, who was, who is, who is to come, who is omnipotent, omnipresent, who is all good, all knowing, all powerful, who holds the world in the palm of his hand, who gave you the greatest treasure, scooped it up in heaven, sent it to you. It's his one and only son who from the beginning in the garden has shown us a way out before he plays wipeout, that he comes and he dies on the cross. He doesn't give it up. He doesn't choose his own will. He sins back into heaven. He's preparing a place for you because you can't prepare it for yourself that someday he's going to come back again. He's going to reestablish the kingdom. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. And that God, that God of the cosmos has plans, designs, and offer on the table to want to bless your life. Eugene Peterson says it like this, God's main business is blessing, not cursing. That's his main blessing. He's given us a way out. There is a curse. You choose not to live for God. There's there's the curse of living without God forever if you choose that, and that's a choice you do not want to make. He loves you so much. He would not force you to be in a relationship with him all eternity if you don't want to be in a relationship with him now. Here's the problem. We live in a culture that thinks of God as more of a cursing God than a blessing God. Um, And we can see it even in the most popular prayer that's prayed every single day. And it's not the Lord's prayer. And it's not help me pass this test or now I lay me down to sleep. Christians and non-Christians, unfortunately, pray this prayer. And, and, And I say this with all reverence and respect. The most popular prayer in America is, God damn it. It's said nonchalantly, said with passion, said under the breath, and said at the top of our lungs, God damn them. God damn it. All the time. And not another thought. They're praying, God curse them. God curse it. God's main business is blessing, not cursing. And it's in these Beatitudes, I'm just gonna unpack one of them today that we see a promise of God. Bible says, Jesus, as he's speaking in Matthew 5, blessed are those, so this isn't just everybody automatically kind of, you get a blessing, you get a blessing, you get a blessing. This is reserved for those who do something specific. It's a blessing, it's an offer on the table, but you have to, Engage the process of receiving that blessing. Blessed are those, happy are those who hunger and thirst. So there's a craving, not a craving, the unquenchable craving that the world wants to offer, but a craving for something else. Those that hunger and thirst, they're gonna be blessed if they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. And here's the promise. So that's the, if you'll do this, You'll be blessed, and guess what else will happen? Here's the promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So if I crave and hunger and thirst for righteousness, I am, I am filled up. My emptiness is filled up, but I don't stay filled because I continue to crave and hunger. The only way to continue to crave and hunger after you're filled is to be poured out, is to be depleted of those nutrients, 
As I'm depleted, I get filled back up. As I'm depleted, I get filled back up. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're gonna be filled and then emptied and then filled and then emptied. That sounds good and that sounds okay, but somewhat that gets lost in translation because we don't understand the the bouquet of flowers that this word righteousness really is. When we hear the word righteousness, it's in the original language, like last week we talked about an original word for it is finished called tetelestai, tetelestai. It is finished. Jesus cried it out on on the cross. It means so many things. Well, this word righteousness is another original language. It's zedaka. Everybody say zedaka. I'll say it with some spice, Zedaka, like Mufasa, but instead it's Zedaka. And yes, there's multiple meanings to it. Here's the most common meaning of Zedaka. The most common understanding of the word is doing what is right. If you live, if you hunger and thirst to do what is right, you'll be filled. So don't hunger and thirst to do what is wrong. Makes perfect sense. But doing what is right, when you understand not our language, but the language and the people that Jesus was speaking to at the time. Another definition of the word zedaka is giving of alms, charity, and the word generous. So I wanna show you a promise of God Understanding the full depths of the language that God would be using, Jesus would be using. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When you see the full body, three dimensional realities of righteousness, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for generosity, for they will be filled. Now you can begin to see why is he using these craving? Why is he using? Because these people didn't hardly have anything. As a matter of fact, this kind of same crowd a few months later wouldn't even have lunch And Jesus would break bread and fish and feed 5,000 because they didn't have any food. And he's telling them, blessed are those that hunger and thirst, not just after what you can get, but after righteousness, after what you are able to give. When you give, you're able to be filled. Let me show you a few more places in scripture. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the generous. Do you see how it makes sense in the full-bodied scope of righteousness is not just the little that the righteous have, but the little that the generous have are better than the wealth of those that don't do anything with what they've got. Let me show you another place. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your right living. No, enlarge the harvest of your generosity. David himself in Psalms, I was young and now I'm old. Thank you, David. That makes perfect sense. (laughs) Me too. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. If he's talking about right living and the children begging, I wonder if it would make more sense if the children begging bread, they'd be begging forgiveness. They'd be begging for grace. They'd be begging for mercy. But he's not talking about a spiritual reality here alone. He's not just talking about walking a line for God. He's saying, I've never seen the generous forsaken or their children begging bread. Because when you're generous with your bread, 
Your children will learn generosity and they won't be begging bread. There's something powerful that you do for your family and your heritage when you're generous. Trust me, I'm telling you, you grew up in stinginess. That's a hard habit to break, isn't it? You grew up saying whatever you wanna say whenever you wanna say it. You were generous with cursing in the home. You're gonna be generous with cursing in the home. You grew up in generously in insecurity. You're gonna generously sow insecurity into your home, okay? So as we dive in a little bit deeper, let me just take you one level deeper. If blessing is his main business, if blessing is his main business, blessing others should be my main business. If I wanna become more like Christ and blessing is his main business for me and that's the offer on the table, then guess what my offer is to humanity? I'm to be a blessing to others. My main business is blessing. My main business is blessing my family, blessing my wife, blessing my children, blessing my God. That's my main business is being a blessing. There are two kinds of people in your life and there are only kinds of two people in the world. Those that when they walk into the room, you are glad they are there. And then there's another kind of person in the world that when they walk out of the room, you are glad they are gone. You know why? Because they're either a blessing or a curse. Nobody enjoys hanging out with somebody who's the negative Nelly all the time. Always, you know, generous with the spirit of Eeyore on them, you know? Give me four Tiggers, you know, and a little bit of Ritalin. Give me four Tiggers and some, and some Concerta and we'll be okay, right? But give me three Eeyores, oh, Father in heaven, holy ghost. Exactly, I got a witness. If blessing is his business, blessing others should be my business. And everybody, that's what all in, this whole series we've been in is all about. Maybe you you don't understand all in because you're just visiting. That's totally fine. It's way more than just a series of messages. This has been launching of a two-year season of accelerated vision initiatives. And if you're a guest in the house, maybe you dipped your toe in the water of of, uh, Easter and you decided to come back today, or it's been a while since you've been here. So glad you're here. You're just listening in right now for this little section. You're listening in on like a a family talk. Because we are headed somewhere. We are 95 years old, and we are not going to accidentally fall into a centennial. We are not going to fall into 100. We're going to run to 100 with God, God given clear passion and vision to go beyond where we've gone, to multiply, to expand the kingdom of God. I mean, I mean, the gospel wants to go forward, and the gates of hell will not prevail against what Jesus wants to do. And we can do a lot of good things, but it ain't God things. So, what we want to do is God things. And I promise you, if you will find out the God thing that God wants you to do, you don't even have to pray that he'll bless it. Because if you're going to do what God wants you to do, he'll bless it. That's his business. His main business is blessing. We're like, God, why didn't you bless this endeavor? Like, cause I never told you to go like be a country music star. You can't sing, bro. Just because your mom said that was a good song, it ain't. I know you wrote this worship song, but honestly, like, no, no, it's not. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. This is this has been a series where we're we're launching into new territory to multiply locations and multiply leaders. 
Every great church has to have great leaders and there ought to be more great churches in America and there ought to be more great churches in deep East Texas. And I'm gonna tell you what, we're gonna be the best in the world at doing. The best in the world at doing. It ain't gonna be preaching, there's better preaching. Go listen to a podcast. We got some really incredible worship, there's better worship. Go listen, you got it. There's platinum records, you, you, you name it. We sing other people's music. But I'll tell you what, we will be the best in the world at. I believe with all my heart and soul, we will be the best in the world at reaching unchurched, lost people in East Texas. I'm kind of looking for, I'm kind of looking for a church that's like got more meat and more, more discipleship. Then you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know, you don't even know what real discipleship is then. Cause you, I can tell you the dimensions of the ark as your aunt and your uncle die and go to hell. Lost people matter deeply to God. It is the number one focus of this church and it will remain as long as you ask me to remain your pastor, it will remain the number one heartbeat because I believe Jesus, when you get close to his heart, you hear his heart beating souls. More souls, more souls, more souls, more souls. And that's why we're going all in on more churches because more churches have greater capacity to reach more souls. More churches means more churches means more prison venues. More churches means more missions giving. More churches means more salvation. More, more churches means more handing out groceries in the parking lot at different places. And we could do a lot of more grocery, we could do a lot more outreach, but when we plant a new church, new place in different areas. And those that are thriving and growing and booming and people are just going there. And then those that are needing reviving, 380,000 churches are gonna close their doors in the next 10 years in America alone. And there are some small little churches you grew up in. I grew up in them too. And there are people in there that matter to God. There are people in that community. That community has fallen off. I mean, the Dairy Queen's barely hanging on but there could be a great thriving church in that community and restore the whole deal. God, God can use the church in a great way and that's what we're going all in about here. More locations and more leaders. In our lobbies, you can see that we've got the booklet that's available that kind of says all that we're trying to do. And my, my invitation to you has been to pray like never before, Engage like never before and give like never before. And we've started this in March, March 27th. We are almost one month, just a couple of days from being 30 days in. Nobody, I've not asked you to, to, to commit as the, the public body of Christ. No, there's no twisting of arms on the financial piece of these, of giving like never before. You have prayed, you've engaged, you're already starting to give. If we don't do anything different as a church, in 24 months, we will bring in through tithes and offerings about $11 million dollars. We don't do anything different. This isn't about that. This isn't about, we'll, we'll bring in $7 million, pardon me. The goal secondarily is that we would increase that from $7 million to $11 million, so $4 million increase. That's the secondary goal. Why? Because it takes stewardship of resources to launch more locations and build more leaders. But also, the primary thing is that we would just all in some way participate However, God calls you to participate. 
Everybody is on a giving journey, and right now your giving journey is being pushed back right now. It's the first time you're hearing me say this, and you're going, I knew it, big church, all about the money, all about this. That's, I wanna tell you, that is, that is an offer on the table that you've received, that is a world's promise right there. That's what the enemy would want to say about the church, the, the, the body of Christ. You, you would want to connect the church that the body of Christ is all about what, you can, what can get out of you, and the enemy would love to trick you with that. He would love that that be a check engine light to come on and you not deal with that. Because Jesus wants more for you than from you. But he does want your heart and it starts with your heart. That's a heart issue. Above all else, guard your pocketbook for everything flows from it is not what the proverb says. The proverb says, above all else, guard your heart because everything flows from it. Every one of us are on a giving journey of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony. This is a giving journey on finances. Every one of us are potential givers. And, and we're basically asking the question, what do I want to do with what I got? Right now, you're giving to multiple places, Home Depot and, and McDonald's and anywhere else. But what do I want to do? What do I want to spend with what I got? That's what we ask. And we're not really asking much more if you're just a potential giver. Okay. As you move to say, hey, I want to start giving into the kingdom of God and put that a priority on blessed are those who hunger and thirst for generosity for they will be filled. I emerge, I begin to say, okay, what do I wanna give out of what I got? As I become a consistent giver and now it's become more of a budgetary consistency intentional thing, not just kind of showing up if I do it, but I'm intentional with it. Then I'm saying, what, what do I wanna give after what God has given me? Now I'm seeing him as the source and I'm making sure that I'm doing something. Tithing is really answering the question, what do I want to, what does God want me to give after what he's given me? And that's more of the question of the tithe, the, the 10%. And then extravagant giving is above that, and that's what does God want me to keep? All of us are on a journey, and you don't, you don't have to jump right up to extravagant, but I would say the opportunity for you if you've never trusted God in your generosity I just believe there's so many offers on the table for you. And let me tell you this, if after all this you decide you've never given, but you wanna start giving, and you end up giving to a different church, I don't care, I don't care. I do believe the right order and process is if this is where you're being fed, if this is where your kids are invested, then you should give to the local church. This should be your place to give. But if, you, if that rubs you the wrong way, go give to another church. And honestly, frankly, if that rubs you the wrong way, if you don't trust me, you ought not be going to this church. You're like, you ought not, I not ought to be your pastor anyway. Like, go be under a pastor that you can trust, that, that, that you can, like, listen. If you, if you trust me to divide the, the word of God, trust me when I'm talking about some of these elements of our heart too, please. Because I'm not trying to twist your arm and get a wallet in there and twist your arm and get you to give. I'm trying to put a cup in your hand, lift your arm, and get you to receive all the promises that God has for you. When it comes to our church, we're broken down like this. About 40% have never tried giving. And that's not an indictment. That's an opportunity. Whoa, what might we could do if we all just began to do something for God, started somewhere about 10% have kind of emerged, 50%, about, about 1% are here, a few percent are here, most of that 50% is here. But man, what if we all take a next step in generosity? And what I've asked you to do for, for a month is just consider making a commitment to make a commitment in the coming weeks. Well, next Sunday is next week, and that is May 1st, Commitment Sunday. And that's where as a church, if you're visiting, like I've said, you're, you're in a family talk moment. 
But if you're part of this church, I'm inviting you to, to see if you can trust God for him to fill you up if you crave and hunger and thirst for generosity. Many people have asked, how do you fill out the card? And I showed this a couple of weeks ago, but I wanna show you again. Everybody that's in the room, you may just use this card or there in Nacogdoches, you may use this card just to put your gum in and throw it in the trash later. Totally fine, whatever, I don't care. Like I said, we're not after anything from you, but I wanna give you the opportunity. I wanna steward, steward the opportunity well, so I just want you to hold that card in your hand. Okay, it's not like all of a sudden you hold it and you're like, oh, oh God, you know, you're gonna be wrangled to the ground and all of a sudden have to give, like, ah. I want you to hold that. On one side, it, it talks about all of the different gifts that could be given depending upon capacity and, and all of the different people, you know, how many people it would take if, if each person did what God's calling them to do, that's how we would reach 11 million. But on the other side is this, this right here. And let's say, we me give you two examples. Let's say you've never tried giving. I'm not talking about giving to the church, I'm talking about giving to God through the church. Giving to God's kingdom through the church. And you've never started, you've never given. I want you to know, I don't ever want a church where everybody's giving, because that means we're not reaching unchurched people. So if you're here and you've never given it, that's not an indictment. Like I said, that's an opportunity to take a next step in your discipleship. So cool. You say, hey, I'm gonna start, I, I, I'm not gonna get to the tithe, but I'm gonna start doing something. You would emerge and become a consistent giver. And let's say that you were to give $100 a month, that's $1,200. That's your new annual goal, your annual giving. Over 24 months, because we're starting this in May and we're going till May 2024 in order to launch locations and launch leaders, well, that two years would be 2,400. And over that season of 24 months, Maybe there's a gift from stored resources. Janet and I are doing a huge like closet clean out and we're looking at stuff we can sell and on top of some other major commitments that we've made, we're gonna be giving out of resources of what we sell in our savings account. We have a CD that's coming due or that's gonna be open. We're able to step into that. We're just considering what God's asking us to do. You can give that anytime. You can give it at the big give, which will start May 15th or over time. And let's say that this is you and you say, hey, I wanna give $1,000, but I'm, I'm gonna wait till next tax return. Or what, 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 That's up between you and God. That's not up between you and JY, okay? All, ultimately, that would say that if that's your goal, then your all-in commitment would be 3,400. It's not a covenant. We're not gonna come knock on your door if you don't bring it in. It just helps us prepare of how far we can go, how fast we can go. And it also helps you Sacrifice your, your heart. Hey, let's say that right now you're giving $2,000 a year, but your income for your family is $60,000 a year, but you wanna start tithing. 2,000 is not tithe. 6,000 of 60,000 is a tithe, it's 10%. And so what you say is, hey, I'm gonna increase our giving because I wanna go to the tithe, which is 6,000. Well, that obviously is over two years, 12,000. And you may say, hey, I don't have a lot of stored resources, but I'm just gonna start tithing because that's gonna be a big step for, for us. And, but you know, $250, we're gonna give out of resources if, if we do or sell it or whatever. Or maybe it's zero, it doesn't matter. That's between you and God. That's 12,250. Really, here's what I'm gonna ask you to give specifically. I'm gonna ask you to specifically surrender to him, listen to what Jesus wants to say, and then just obey that. Don't do a recommendation of your pastor. Do a recommendation of your savior who is so generous to you. If blessing is his main business, 
Blessing others could be and should be and will be our main business. But with the rest of the time we have, I just wanna say something to you here. There's a little bit of an issue. Some of you, you say amen and yes, and, and you're thinking about it, but you don't even know it. You don't even realize it. You are messing with your blessing. Look at the person next to you. Are you messing with my blessing? <laughs> yes, you are. No, they're not messing with your blessing. You are messing, you are unintentionally messing with your blessing. Unintentionally, you don't even, you're good intentioned, but you're messing with your blessing. I'll give you three ways you mess with what God wants to bless. Here they are, very simple. I'll give them to you fast. Number three, keep it to yourself. What's mine is mine. I want it, I want it all. Give, give me, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. Give me, give me, give me. Just keep it to yourself. Everything, like I gotta, I gotta protect what I got. Hands off, stop, right? Keep it to yourself. The only way to keep prosperity from becoming idolatry is through generosity. If you don't think you're prosperous, you need to go on a missions trip with us. You are prosperous. And the only way to not let the things you have to become idols in your heart is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then you're filled. The only way to get the stuff, like oh, the job, the thing, the business, the, the, being, a, being a good mom, all of a sudden that stuff that becomes idols in our heart, we have to be generous with these things, our time and our talent and our treasure and our testimony. Look what scripture says, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you can be sure, it's a promise. God is able to bless you with all his grace so that in all things, at all times, you will always have all you need. That's how big your God really is. And you'll also, check this out, overflow. So you can give to every good work. Now you do this and you, you are receiving the blessings that are still on the table. Don't do this, and guess what? You can just, I don't know, keep it to yourself. Just keep it to yourself. God designed us to be conduit, to work through us, not be silos, but to be vessels to be poured out and filled up. Number two, here's another way you can unintentionally mess with what God wants to bless. Complain about your cup. Complain about your cup. Your cup may look different than mine. Mine may be smaller and receive less. Yours may be larger, yours may be smaller. Just, we, have different, we have different vessels, different chalices, different cups. And what we can do is we can complain about what we got because they got that, they, they don't even deserve that. Oh, man, if I had that, I'd be doing, and you complain about what God has given you versus celebrate what God has given you and be thankful in all things. Here's what, here's what scripture says. In everything you do, stay away from complaining. Now the next scripture says, except for Facebook, because that's totally off limits. You can complain about whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and never have to see people face to face. You can just be like a big old hero behind your computer screen. That's what Paul says later. <laughs> in everything, in everything you do, stay away from complaining. Stay away from it. Complain about the stuff you have, that will, that will suck the generosity and righteousness right out of you. Hey, let your lives overflow with what? For all God has done, he has done so much. And the more thankful, thankfulness is a muscle, the more you use it, the stronger your thankfulness gets and the more you're able to recognize all the things that you can be thankful for. But can I tell you what the key word is in there? This key word in that scripture isn't God, it isn't thanksgiving, and it isn't overflow, it isn't lives. Let me tell you what the key word is, let. 
You have to choose to let that overflow in your life. Now, here's how you don't. Here's how you don't let that overflow. Complain about your cup. But here's the number one thing. The number one thing in order to unintentionally be messing with your blessing is that that cup that God wants to fill, lift a cup that's out of order. And I don't mean that it's upside down. I mean, just like you would put an out of order sign on anything like a vending machine or, or a treadmill that's now, your, it's a clothes hanger versus an actual piece of exercise equipment. You put an out of, out of order sign on something because it's broken. And when we, when we don't put things in God's order, we're living a broken life. We're living out of order. Look what Haggai says. You spend a lot of money, but you don't have much to show for it. Anybody ever been there? You have food, but not enough to fill you up. You have drink, but not enough to satisfy your thirst. And here's the question of the day. Consider why that's happening. Consider it. Consider why that's happening. Because you didn't get that promotion, or you didn't get what you, was yours, or you just need to work harder, and you just need to perform better. Here's what the prophet says to the people of Israel, and it's relatable to us today. It's because you're too busy building your own fine house that you haven't built my temple, the house of worship. That's why I'm withholding your blessing. Does that mean that you can't build a fine house? No. Jana and I built a fine house. We built many. We, we, we built and remodeled and flipped and you, you name it. We've done a lot of things. The Lord's blessed it. But we also, since 2004, have put God first and wanted to build his house first. The truth is only people that don't know God are always worrying about the status and the stuff. Your father in heaven knows that you need all of these. So if you really know your father, you're going to know like he's going to supply my needs. Jesus himself, more than anything else, put God's work, what? First and do what he wants, then the other things will be yours as well. When order is restored, blessings are released. When order is restored, blessing is released. Help me out, Cody, because you know I'm gonna preach faster if I got a piano behind me as I finish up. That's a lie, it'll just, it'll just sound smoother. I've told him many times, this ain't the Academy Awards, it's not like I'm gonna walk off the stage, although some of you may want to come up and, and <laughs> slap me right now and say, get my finances out your mouth. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You can go ahead. Well... In 2004, I was a youth pastor. We had been married four years, but we had let the month get away from us. We had let our money get away from us. We were not being good stewards to the point where we were spending everything we had and we were actually spending more than we were making. We were slowly getting into debt. All of a sudden, we had a credit card that was maxed out. We, we didn't know what to do. So we really needed a washer and a dryer. And so we ended up going to, you can play, why are you going, you're getting all quiet on me, you can play. Uh, you, you, so we went and got a Lowe's card and got the washer and the dryer, but while we were there, man, I really could have used that power drill too. <laughs> How many times have I used a power drill in my life? Like, you know. Um, 
And before we knew it, we had a lot more responsibility than we had resource. And for two months, I sat down and I said, Janet, I'm realizing now we didn't, we're pastors and we didn't even tithe that, those two months. And we said, we gotta make a change. We've gotta put God first. Well, what, what are we doing? And I say that to tell you, look, I get it. I get it. I get it. You're trying to be faithful, but things look overwhelming. Uh, yeah, I want a hunger and thirst for generosity, but I got nothing to, to give. It, it's not about the stuff. It's, a, it's about the place of your heart. So on Thanksgiving in 2004, we were driving from Wichita, Kansas, up here to Lufkin to visit her mom and dad for Thanksgiving. We listened to a set of CDs called the Total Money Makeover. A, you may be familiar with Dave Ramsey. And um, I, don't, I don't just stamp every single thing that Dave Ramsey does, but if you need a simple step, it, there's some great baby steps for you there. We held hands, we prayed, we cried, said, man, we gotta, we gotta change something. And God, by your grace, we're just gonna start, we're not ever, ever gonna miss tithing ever again. For 18 years, we've been faithful to that promise. And I'm gonna tell you, God has never let us down one single time. Have we gotten everything we wanted? No, no. Has he rearranged the laundry and the washing machine of our life to where every time we don't get something, it's not like our lives are going. He's balanced the laundry of needs in our lives as we've prayed over those things. And we are, we've been filled. We've been blessed. 11 months later, we were completely debt-free, sold everything, it was nuts. Janet went on a business trip to North Dakota. I put the house up for sale without telling her. And she got home late night from the airport. There was a for sale sign in the front for sale by owner. She kicks down the door like she is Chuck Norris. What are you doing selling the house? I'm like, God told me. She's like, oh, no, I'm the Holy Spirit here. And, and like, you know. <laughs> Three days later, we sold it for $24,000 more than our asking price. It was, it was crazy. Then we moved in into our, my parents' basement. I was like, oh dear God, what have we done wrong? You know, it was like a blessing and then cursing. <laughs> but God knew because the day after our house sold, the, the day, the day, not, this is not exaggerated. The day after our house sold, I get a phone call from a man named Andy Salagay who said, hey, I'm pastoring Lufkin First Assembly. And I'm, I've been praying all week. And I just feel led to call you to say, I would really like you to come and be on my team and be a pastor on this staff. And he said, and I feel like if I, I just needed to, I needed to call you. And little did I know and little did Andy know, but all did God know that that would set the steps of our lives to be standing here today as your lead pastor after having spent nine years on staff and then now almost eight years in August as your lead pastor. God just kind of organized that thing. It's just crazy how God works like that. When order is restored, blessing is released. Hey, you wanna, you wanna go all in on his blessing? Let me finish with these three thoughts. Where do you start? Well, you could start with that commitment card and you can give though without loving. You can give without loving. 
And I would rather you just not, don't start there. Don't start there. I'm not even asking you to start with a commitment card. Let me, let me show you. You cannot love without giving. You cannot love a spouse without giving to that spouse. You cannot love kids without giving. You cannot love without giving. So I would rather you, instead of being a message about giving, I'd rather this be a message, honestly, about loving. And here's what I'm at, here's what I, oh, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for you, those that are callous and you still don't trust me. You see, you don't trust the, the institution. You don't trust her. You, you got your own theories on tithe. You got your own theories about generosity. Fine, 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 fine. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Fall madly in love with Jesus and his kingdom. Just fall in love with Jesus and all he's done and all he is and all he is gonna do and his kingdom coming, his will be done. And I promise you, fall in love with Jesus. You won't help, you, will, you can't be held back. Nobody can tell you not to give if you will fall madly in love with Jesus. Janet, come here, baby. Pop this on Janet in first service and just gonna do it again. She said, please don't do that again. <laughs> I'm gonna hear about it later. No, I won't, she's awesome. I met her, Southwestern Assemblies of God University. She was a sophomore, I was a freshman. She was a cradle robber. I said, uh, I said, did you get that body from McDonald's? Because <laughs> I'm loving it. Uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, I don't got a library card, but can I check you out? <laughs> Those are both lies, I didn't say those. I did say those to her the other day. In fact, I said it to her last night walking into a restaurant. She goes, shut up! <laughs> I did say to her, oh, we just lost the audio, the, the, the piano. You think that's not, this is a love story, Cody. I'm gonna finish, I promise, I'm gonna finish. Here, here's the deal, here's the deal. She's like, please finish. <clears throat> um, I said, hey, what are the chances of a, of a guy like you and a girl like me getting together? quote dumb and dumber you're all set like and uh sure enough week later took her to our first date la madeline's french bakery there over by uh southern methodist university in dallas and she was a cheap date i was like thank you jesus it was like 294 it's like two dollars and 94 cents she got a little potato cake i'm like i am set i am set it's great three days later it was like lobster and steak i promise you okay it was like oh whoops <laughs> it wasn't long like I fell madly in love with Janet. I don't know if she felt, did you fall as fast for me as I did for you? That's okay, it's okay. <laughs> I was like a fine wine, okay? Had to just, just a little aging on there, you know? But um, speed this up, please, is what she just said. So I'm all fin, I'm all fin, come in here, come in here, I love you, okay? So, so let me just finish. Could not wait to introduce her to my dad. My dad was coming into town two weeks later, took, took her to the real nice place called Bennigan's <laughs> in a hotel, like the Radisson Hotel. My dad, my dad was there and, and he was at a conference and we sat and we had dinner with my dad and, I, and we, I was walking my dad to the car and I said, dad, what'd you think, what'd you think? And my dad said, she's really nice, she's really sweet. Uh, little did I know that 
And when my dad got into the car, he began to cry and he called my mom and he said, Karen, I think I just met our daughter-in-law. They fell madly in love with her too, for very good reason. When I asked her to marry me, I asked her in front of 6,000 people, she had to say yes. It was at a a big conference on the stage, it was a trap. Uh, It was awesome. Um, She said yes, and eight months later, right, right, right here, right here, we got married, said I do, gave our vows. But then also richer and poorer came and sickness and in health came and for better or worse, and I had a lot of worse and she had a lot of better. And there were times where even though I have fallen madly in love with this woman, I did not treat her like I was madly in love with her. And even today, I get frustrated because she wants me to treat her like I'm madly in love with her. And I see in my own self defensiveness, insecurities, selfishness, I want my way, I hunger and thirst for my status and my stuff. What keeps us together is not just being true to our vows, that's a contract, but we have committed to one another. We love each other and it's out of that love that we're generous to each other, that we're generous in our forgiveness, we're generous in our finances, we're generous in our words of, I love you, and I love you too. And as real as this is, everybody, I'm telling you, Jesus is even more real. He's eternal. Fall madly in love with your Savior. I can't even love Janet the way she needs to be loved until I love Jesus first. Will you give it up to the best sport in the world of all time? Like, I know whenever I talk, some of you are all looking over at her, seeing what she, you know, how she's responding. Thank you. I hope I was a blessing to you, Janet. Later, we can be a blessing to each other. Because <laughs> uh, I'm hungering and thirsting for some generosity. Holy Spirit just left. Piano stopped. It's just done. I'm sorry. I'm done. I I promise. Here's how you fall more madly in love with Jesus. Okay. Hmm. Embrace the magnitude of my debt, your debt. And I'm not talking about your credit card debt. I'm talking about your spiritual debt. Embrace the magnitude of it because you can't take care of it. And then embrace the generosity of his suffering that paid for your debt. When you see what he did for you while you were still sinner, it changes your cravings. It'll change your hunger and your thirst. You'll want to be generous because he was so generous to you. And it starts with loving him. Because he first loved you. And he first hungered and thirsted to be generous to you. How can we show our love to him but by being generous back? Let's pray. Two prayer moments right now. The first is this. You know Jesus has been generous to you, but you've not invited him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. 
Or maybe it's been a while, but you've drifted and you need to come back to him. You need to fall back in love with Jesus or fall in love with Jesus for the first time. If that's you, I wanna pray with you, but you're saying, that's me. I feel that in my heart. I know that I need to believe he is who he says he is and re-engage him today. If that's you, just put a hand right up in the air. I wanna pray with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am, in the back. Thank you, thank you, sir. All across the room there in Nacogdoches, thank you, guys. In your own words, I'm gonna tour guide you here, but you just say, Jesus, I can't save myself. You're the perfect God who died on a cross for me. Thank you for not being mad at me. Thank you for making this moment available to me to make things right with you. Would you give me a fresh start with you? And I wanna learn to live like you and for you. And you live through me. Thank you, Jesus. For those of you in the room, heads bowed and eyes still closed, you've struggled with lifting a cup that's out of order. You've struggled with keeping it to yourself. You've struggled with, with maybe a lack of generosity. I'm inviting you just to, put, just to put that into God's hands. Can you lean into trusting him today? Jesus, help us to hunger and thirst for giving, hunger and thirst for generosity, hunger and thirst for right living. You've promised you'll fill us up. Why are we so trying to control everything? And God, I know if you'll meet us there, your word is true. It is a lifeline directly into your presence. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after everything you have. May they be filled today. In Jesus' name, everybody sit amen.